Just wanted to do one where we weren't high on any kind of hallucinogens, just maybe a little bit of coffee, you know? Just coffee this time, and, and a bucket of cocaine. <laughs> Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. I cut it. Science AF. About half as long. Science as oh, fuck. It's a good song. Welcome to Science AF. I'm your host, Dave Tacho. I invited a guest back because we wanted to go over some of the topics we talked about last year in about the summer of 2019 from such shows as Mr. Show, Chris Rock Show, uh, Mad TV, and... Um, Blue Collar TV. Blue Collar Comedy. Um, Storage Wars. <laughs> right? Stor- it's getting worse and worse now. You might remember that chilling Storage Wars episode that Mike wrote. Well, please welcome back my guest, Mike Upchurch. Hi, Dave. How you doing? And uh, last year we talked about comedy, the science of comedy, yeah. um, study of comedy, humor, laughter. I actually, um, <clears throat> after we taped, I felt we had an ethical responsibility to inform the listeners mm-hmm. that right before we taped the last episode, um, we smoked a big fat joint. Oh, this is on the permanent record, you know. Yes, this- I... I just your, felt that your future political career is at stake. Yes, and I thought that the listeners weren't aware of that. They thought they were listening to two completely clear-headed, sober people. <laughs> and uh, I don't we, think they did, but okay. Well, I listened to it again. We were pretty high. We were, but at the beginning, at the beginning, there's a little bit of long pauses, but we were pretty articulate. It wasn't obvious that we were super high. Yeah, we get into some shit. I think it started pretty slow and, and uh, lazy. I thought we did okay. We I, got I into was, some cool, uh, interesting stuff. My memory of it was that we were j- it was kind of a train wreck and that we weren't really making any good points. But then when I listened to it, I'm like, oh, we actually sound pretty good there. What's, you know, no one would be... It wasn't obvious. And we should be clear that right now, uh, we are on no controlled substances except coffee. Just gobs and gobs of caffeine right now <laughs> i'm on my well i think i had about uh three cups of coffee and now i'm on some iced tea this is my second cup so we're ready to go we're yes. clear-headed we're only under the controlled substances that are uh deemed reasonable and uh, respectable by society yeah the kind you can do at work right the kind that it's encouraged in, in workplace yeah here, have a, a mild stimulant. <laughs> Encouraged and mandatory at a lot of businesses. Yes. So uh, what I would like to do is uh, just run over some general science uh, news first. Okay. And uh, just uh, go through a few things that are happening. And then we'll get back into comedy and humor and our definitive opinions on <laughs> what's funny about everything. So for the past couple of weeks, I've been talking about, I've been giving uh, uh, updates on the Wuhan coronavirus. Still not time to panic. I think it's more, it's kind of under control. Um, although the numbers are up to 20,000 people infected in China. Hmm. But uh, there's only been a, a few dozen outside of China. And it doesn't seem to be spreading out of control yet. And um, I've re- I read somewhere that in terms of sicknesses, it's just a little worse than a common cold. It's not really like the SARS and a lot of other stuff that was going around a few years ago. Is, were, they were much worse. This it's is, not nearly as bad as Ebola or SARS. The yeah. death rate, I think, is about 2%, hmm. uh, 2 in 100. 
That's pretty good. It's odds. not great. I mean, you don't you, <laughs> no. you don't want to roll that that <laughs> dice, but also it's uh it's not that bad. So don't panic. It's hopefully not going to unless you have it kill us all. If you have it, take it seriously. Yeah. And also don't uh, take any plane rides to uh, Europe. Um, okay. The FDA has approved a, the first drug to treat peanut allergies. Wow. This is, you know, exciting for a member, a, a small portion of the population that has bad peanut allergies. Dimitri Martin. Can be uh, very harmful or fatal in yeah. some cases. Dimitri Martin has a nut allergy. Uh-huh. Does he carry around a... Um, what an uh, EpiPen to, in case he accidentally eats some? That's a good question. He's very careful about what he eats, though. So, so if you're a guy with a nut allergy, you've been really craving a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, there might be hope. Yeah, there is, there is now hope. They're getting close to finding the root causes and some uh, solutions to allergies. And this new peanut drug, they said uh, it's a pill, and when given to people who have allergies... They were able to tolerate two peanuts and without a reaction, <laughs> whereas before, you know, one of them might have, you know, one peanut might have sent them to the ER. Okay. Um, now they can eat two and not have a reaction. That's that's pretty good. So the peanut update. butter and jelly sandwich is still ways it's still off. a little off. Uh, it, it's a little out of reach, yeah. um, but it, it, but uh, we might have it in. You by, might be able to have some peanut butter on a cracker if it's. Two two nuts worth. Yeah, two nuts of peanut butter is is all that you can have. So it's it's about like a a Ritz cracker sized <laughs> dollop. Um, let's see. There's uh, contact lenses coming out that can tell you that can show you UV light. So it's kind oh. of um, use might be useful for telling whether your skin is burning or or how bad the sun is, how how uh, toxic the sun and light is. Right. That means now. you can tell when people have uh, sunscreen on. Like uh, there's oh. a UV camera, yeah, and it, like it shows somebody putting on sunscreen, and it's like they're just putting black on, the, it, like it blocks out the UV. Oh, cool. Yeah, so like, <clears throat> um, UV cameras, y- you definitely can see sunscreen, and you can see. Uh, Do they become? They don't become invisible to the UV camera. They become a black spot. Yeah, they, it literally looks like someone in blackface. It, it's uh, whether they're black or white. Very controversial. The sunscreen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with these contact lenses, um, something's pretty cool. It's almost like seeing in the dark because, it, in a very literal sense, we're in the dark when it comes to UV. We our eyes are not adapted to see it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a it's a higher frequency uh, form of light, and we see light, but it's a kind of light we can't see. And so contact lenses that can show you UV light is pretty cool. It's uh, expanding the sort of sensory perception. It seems like soldiers would have, if they had a UV flashlight that could throw out UV light in the dark. Oh, then they could... wear those contacts, they could just go around and be completely sighted in the... In in the the dark dark. and see each other? Yeah. Yeah. Without Um, wearing those $30,000... There are... uh, not ultraviolet, but uh, infrared is on the other end of the spectrum. There's infrared goggles. Oh. kind of does the same thing. Huh. We don't see infrared uh, wavelengths of light normally because they're, uh, it's a lower frequency light. But there, you know, that, like, uh, there are goggles that can make, let you see. Those are like those night vision goggles that you see in movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. They expand the range of, of human uh, ocular awareness. Huh. Pretty cool. Might get some of those. 
And finally, um, they've been able to build a yarn from human skin cells that can they can use to knit your body. So they took they took um, human skin cells and they made it into the long thin strand, and wow. they were able to weave little uh, you know pieces of uh, you know little little cloth out of skin. <laughs> it sounds like a horror movie like yeah. uh, Leatherface or something but um, uh, the medical profession doctor uh, the French National Institute of Health has come up with this which is pretty cool because right now we still sew up injuries when you get stitches it's it's basically still thread it's just ah. uh, I don't know what dissolving what, thread or stuff you some have to sort of out. dissolving thread but this would be actual human they could build the string out of your own cells so i don't know a better better reaction i guess man ed gein would have probably been like ah if only there were that i wouldn't have had to kill those people and rip their skin off <laughs> yeah I just i could have been a doctor instead <laughs> of a monster that's all i have on the news today here's an article on the benefits of laughter there have been a lot of studies about uh how uh Laughter is uh, can be beneficial. It boosts immunity, lowers stress hormones, decreases pain, relaxes muscles, prevents heart disease, uh, adds joy and zest to life, eases anxiety and tension, relieves stress, improves mood, strength, mood strengthens resilience, um, strengthens relationships, attracts us to others, enhances teamwork. Um, promotes teamwork? Promotes teamwork. Well... If there, if people are cracking jokes about each other, you know, like, I don't know if all those benefits are necessarily always present. <laughs> yeah, you know. So those, are, that's just a list of uh, benefits that have been studied of laughter. But you know, there's definitely different types of laughter and different types of humor mm -hmm. that we can get into. Like, um, I was reading about la laughter is one of the few things that, um, like, human responses that. It has two forms. It it has an involuntary form and a voluntary form. Mm -hmm. And studies have shown that people in social situations laugh more uh, because I don't know to to, to bond. I guess yeah, you know, to it's affirm the human bonding and and yeah. uh, re release tension in a, in a social situation. And mm -hmm. you know you you at work meetings when you're sitting around a table, people tend to. <clears throat> laugh and joke around mm -hmm. because it lightens the mood of being at work. Yeah. Especially when you're a comedy writer, but even in the business offices, you know, that I've been in, you know, people tend to like to joke around. Um, yeah. Um, it helps. It does. And I think sometimes if it's off limits, it's, it's cooler, but then I know at certain jobs, like on, <laughs> like, uh, at Mr. Show, we would always bag on the, the show itself as a joke. Like, Bob uh -huh. would come in and go, all right, well, show's in the toilet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and we'd all laugh, you know? And, uh, and then Which say, is interesting. I, I mean, it's generally thought of as one of the best sketch comedy shows mm -hmm. that's ever been on TV. I would say that. Um, but, you know, when you were in the room, people were like, ugh. Wait, was it was it that was an like... occasional joke? I remember Bob would say that occasionally, and and um, I remember uh, at another show, I made a joke similar to that, and everybody kind of went, 
<laughs> and they just clammed up like, what you're talking about? The, uh, this, this is a perfect show. There's nothing wrong with it. And I was like, oh, it's, it's, this is not that atmosphere. <laughs> you know, it's uh, on Mr. Show. It was, you know, it was uh, the point was to just be irreverent about everything. Yeah. You know, including our own precious, we, wonderful show. You know, we'd make fun of it for being crappy. You know? Sure, sure. Um, tongue in cheek. We worked really hard to make it not crappy, but, you know, the, the joke was because we're working so hard. Why not make the joke? You know? Yeah. Nobody Which was is, uptight about whether it was going to be funny. We just kind of <laughs> joked around that it wasn't going to be, you know? Yeah. But I mean, probably coming from a place of irony and a little bit in, in the sense that you all thought you were doing pretty good work. Yeah, if we had didn't. no one to blame. There was nobody, there was no um, suits telling us what to do. Yeah. Telling Bob and David, you got to cut that. I think uh, they ever got a note on anything. One time in the whole history of the show did somebody at HBO have a note. Uh-huh. And it was, um, the line was, fuck the baby. I think that was the line. <laughs> It was a couple, and I think the, the that crossed a line for some reason <laughs> for HBO. Yeah, and it was like um, something like, "What about the baby?" And she says, "Yeah, uh, uh, fuck the baby. You want to fuck the baby or something?" It was it was pretty bad, <laughs> and uh, I think the, uh, Bob and David went, "Yeah, all right. Yeah, we can cut that. <laughs> Fine, we don't." Only only note they got in like th- three years, three or four years, you know. So we won't fuck the baby. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's not that's not too bad a note. It's not like a, a hill you want to die on. Like, yeah, how dare you tell us not to say fuck a baby? Yeah, and when it when you get notes, there's always it's a stressful thing for a writer to get notes on it, especially when it's from somebody who's not a another comedy writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I I literally think it causes stress to your heart. Like. You feel like you're, if you're getting a lot of notes that are just totally contrary to what you're trying to do, you, you feel like there's a vice on your heart, you know, like, oh, oh yeah, ah. totally. And that's, that's why writers complain about notes so much, you know, but at the same time, you have to get a bit of distance. But it happens. Like, I've, I've gotten notes, like, I've had um, sketches rewritten and then looked at them and, and realized, like, the, the person who is rewriting this does not understand the yeah. sketch and what's funny about the sketch. Yeah. And you can get really, uh, there's, there's ego involved. Oh, yeah. But also, you know, you know, there's a perfectionism in, in writing where if you write something, you're like, I know why this is funny. I'm sure this is funny. Yeah. And then somebody else comes and turns it into something else. Yeah. Uh, there's this, this part of you that's like, no, you <laughs> you ruined it. You ruined what was there. You yeah, you come up with something and you're just like, oh, this is so good. And somebody goes, hey, why don't we go the other way with it? You know, your initial that, that's reaction a no. is go, yeah. why don't we just go the fucking way I want to go with it? You know, that's, that's a common no. What if we go the other way with it? <laughs> no, no, what if we go the same way? What if we go this way? <laughs> that's what we all, what if we go the same way even faster now? <laughs> but you got to, you know, I, I think it's a, as a writer, you don't want to get too precious about your material. You want to think about what the note is and what it's trying to address, you know, like, Oh if yeah. There's, if there's a thing that it's trying to address that you didn't consider, forget what the note was. Just think about what that problem could be, you know, like, and is there another thing that you're happy with that could change it and make the person giving the note happy also? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, and if you close yourself down to all that, you might not come up with that third idea. That's really good. That pleases everyone that makes everybody laugh, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, most, Sketches I've written in a group environment have almost always gotten better with with people 
in the room giving notes. You know, funny people I trust giving notes. There's a difference between a group of writers giving, you know, throwing stuff at you that are, are hilarious ideas and, you know, some producer who yeah. skimmed it over and, and, you know, has some idea that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's like, a, hey, you know, I got a couple notes. What, what if Hamlet is decisive? You know, he's kind of wishy-washy, right? <laughs> Let's make him decisive and fucking bam, he kills the king right off the bat. Huh? Yeah. What if, <laughs> what if he turns into a, a, a superhero that avenges evil uncles? Yeah. Some, a, lot, a lot of notes are, are right on. And, and, and writing is a collaborative, especially comedy writing is a collaborative process mm-hmm. in the, for the most part. Um, it always is because writing a comedy in a vacuum I mean, does it even exist? Like, you have to bounce it off of an audience. Yeah. You, you have to test your material out. You, there, there has to be an audience. Comedy writers, especially young um, comedy writers who haven't done it a lot, they, the audience is the last thing they think about. They write right, it, right. they find it funny, then it's funny, period. Yeah. And they, they probably all started that way, like writing things down that you never, you were afraid, you know, when you were a teenager or something mm-hmm. that you were afraid to show anybody and you thought might be funny or interesting. Um, but then there's a certain confidence that you get after you've done a few and you've gotten some laughs and you're just like, well, I don't need an audience to tell me that this is funny. But that's really the only objective measure you have. You know, it's the only way you can say this is funny. I put it in front of an audience and they laughed. Mm-hmm. And um, occasionally you can discount it. I remember <laughs> there was a Mr. Show. They would always do a rehearsal show. And um, then they do they take an hour and a half in between and they do a second taping. Actually, no, they were both shows um that they would use they, they both had audiences twice. they both had audiences they'd use it twice um i wouldn't call the first one a rehearsal show it was just they, the first one and the second one and then the uh editor would sometimes um t- take a better sketch from the first show and mix it they'd edit the two shows into one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i remember once in between um they were discussing a sketch i think it might have been watch us have sex it was a sketch they did in the season I, I was in. Mm-hmm. And um, Dina was like, well, it didn't get very good laughs. And, and Bob went, well, fuck the audience. They don't know, man. That's, this is funny. You know, like, they'll get it. The audience at home will get it. And uh, I remember thinking, yeah, you know, sometimes an audience will get it wrong. But usually not. Usually not. Yeah. Um, the in audience ca- is very smart. In that case, did you do you think it went better the second show? Yeah, I think it was just they 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 had a bunch of notes on it to to make it better, and, yeah, and it got a much better laugh the second time. Doing stand up, you say the same, you know, sentences over and over to different audiences, mm-hmm. and you, you can, there's widely varying reactions, and sometimes it depends on the way you say it, or mm-hmm. the mood you're in, or the mood the audience is in, or you know, whatever's happening. It, it's good to to record yourself to go back and go, you know, so you know what that moment was and why. Yeah, it's hard to go back and listen to your own voice it really for is. a lot of people, including myself. But um, what did we talk about last episode? We 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 kind of talked about um, the science of comedy, but also like the changes in uh, thoughts, societal impressions towards comedy. Mm-hmm. I was reading. Today, I don't know if you do you know these uh, the terms Horatian and Juvenalian uh, in, to describe uh, satire. Um, no, I mean I've heard Juvenalian before. The way I, I was 
it was explained when I read it was Horatian is is a is a much more um, uh, benign, jovial sort of satire, mm-hmm. and Juvenalian is like very like harsh and uh, like a you know like a uh, a, a a real uh, cutting sort of satire. So mm-hmm. it it's sort of the extremes of you know is, is this comedy how, like- how benign is it I guess. The difference between parody and satire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parody is making a point about um, the uh, form and format, and uh, it's making aesthetic critici- criticism. You know, it's yeah, just making fun of. It's just making like this is silly. Let's yeah. mock it. Kind Whereas of. satire is, it's got teeth. It's going after somebody. There's usually a real cl- a clear target. Right. It's right. getting satirized. Whereas parody is just going, oh, isn't this fun? Look at the conventions. Um, parody is a much uh, and it's the difference between um, Austin Powers and um, uh, Dr. Strangelove oh interesting you know, okay. Austin Powers is just kind of making fun of spy movies it's making aesthetic points you know like oh isn't it funny that they did this back then and, and um, yeah, look at these phrases and it's a lot of 60s stuff you know that's thrown in whereas Dr. Strangelove is a critique of Western um, militarism, you know, and it's it's really making some serious points the whole way while mm-hmm. being funny. But, while being ex- extremely funny, yeah. But but it's 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 more um, satire is there's a target, and also good satire. There's going to be people who don't get it. That's just built in, mm-hmm. you know, because you have to in satire you have to mimic the target. You have to become it, right? Know? And so um, a lot of people will just go, "Well, this is terrible," you know. Um, like in Blazing Saddles or something, you know, they'll go, well, there's, they're saying the N-word all over the place, and that's bad. But, yeah, um, but they're also making a lot of points, societal points, right. that are highly criti- critical, uh, you know, and I don't know that they could do that without... They wanted to make a commentary on how racism is bad or, it, and you know, especially has been in history, throughout history, Yeah, and they made that point by... You know some extremely racist lines and characters, right? But you're not meant to be on the side of the racist characters, no. But yeah, that it's an interesting uh, uh, development that we are in a global world now, and well, there you know, there's a there's a difference between racial jokes and racist jokes. But people used to you know look both way, look around the room and tell racist jokes mm-hmm. depending on who's you know, around, but if you're making comedy, you know, to put out into the world, you're talking to the whole world. So yeah, there's people that will, a certain amount of people won't understand mm-hmm. satire, especially if it's political or, you know, racial or in any way controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an interesting line where you have to, uh, when you put something out there, you 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 want a lot. You want the mo- you want most people to get it. Yeah. But you know, not everyone's going to get it. Yeah. And I think there's maybe an art to expressing your point cogently to a large number of people mm-hmm. without being mis you know well, misunderstood. Uh, after Ter- Terry Jones died, I I uh, went back and watched a documentary about uh, Monty Python. It was called uh, Almost the Truth. Really good documentary. They had interviews with all of them. Mm-hmm. They were talking about doing Life of Brian. and um, The original title was Jesus Christ, Lust for Glory. <laughs> right. And they were like, ah, oh, what a great area. You know, that's, let's, and they started figuring out, you know, mapping out what the thing was going to be about. 
and they definitely wanted to make people uncomfortable. They definitely wanted to to tackle subjects that were really dangerous. Um, but they they totally started pulling back on the original idea, and like they kept they kept going. Jesus isn't funny because he doesn't have an ego. Mm-hmm. Because all the things he's saying, you know, it's you can't make Jesus the the the, the butt of the joke. It doesn't work. Yeah. And they said, they came up with the idea of, okay, well, let's just make this all Jesus adjacent, mm-hmm. you know? And they didn't want to be, um, they said it's, there's a difference between blasphemy and heresy. Hmm. And, and um, I think it was Michael Palin was making the point. He said it's, um, blasphemy is when you're uh, making light of Jesus, when you're, making a joke about Jesus, whereas heresy is when you're violating the doctrine of the church. Okay. So they were kind of going after the church. They were going after organized right. religion, they, so Jesus wasn't even a part of it. And they, they, there was a lot of concern about, well, we don't want to go too far. We don't want to, you know, considering they set out to make to piss people off, there was a hell of a lot of consideration on their part of, Ah, that's going too far. We need to really make this just right and get surgical about it and not offend people for the wrong reasons. And nonetheless, yeah. they did it. They made the piece, and there were still protests and people uh, saying that it was terrible and wrong. Um, but at least they were confident about, you know, no, no, we did our homework mm-hmm. and, and we made a movie we're proud of. And they defended it, you know, zealously. They, they had a, a debate. Um, with uh, one of the deacons of the uh, Anglican Church or something, and and uh, they were arguing a lot about it. Like, I remember, yeah, God, who was it? Was it Cleese? It was Cleese uh, and Palin. And Palin. And they were uh, debating an archbishop, and uh, I think it was a member of Parliament. And they were both about the, about the value of satire in a society, right? And then the. Um, they they were just saying you were being disrespectful of Jesus and religion, and one of them hadn't even seen it, you know, and that really set off Michael Palin. He's like, ah, oh, you know, they were very very uh, heated yeah. discussion. Yeah, that, that's worth watching. I, I I feel like because I'm on their side naturally that the the Pythons won the debate. Heartily, oh yeah, for sure. In my mind. They're sort of uh, playing with you know the people's interpretation of mm-hmm. uh, Jesus rather than you know just mocking Jesus and holding him up as some sort of punching bag or something. Yeah, and they probably would have gotten at least a segment of the audience would have, which who would have been all right, fine, make fun of Jesus. This is great, you know. Sure. Um, but they would have had a larger number of you know. I don't think they would have made it for such a giant audience. You know, the picture was a huge hit. You know, so obviously they did something right. Yeah, I think there's a difference in in saying, and this is where people get in trouble. Is like you could say that um, religion, you know, it, religious doctrine has some problems and negative, you know, ill effects, or you could just broadly say, uh, "I hate Christians; they're all assholes." Mm-hmm. Like that's not very funny because all Christians are not assholes, obviously, um, but you know. Honing your joke to hit the target of, you know, dogmatic doctrine mm-hmm. is is something that uh, is much harder to do than to just, you know, make fun of a broad group of people. Yeah, and I think there's um, 
you can uh, break a taboo and um, it can work amongst friends um, because they know you really well and mm. they know you're an okay person, you know. But then you have to be not you have to be careful not to be reckless when you're making jokes for a big audience, you know, like um, uh, since we had the last podcast, uh, Shane Gillis was a perspective yeah. mis- uh, uh, SNL. He was hired as a writer performer, I think. And then they dug up some of his old podcasts, and he said the word chink over and over. Yeah, and he did... Um, With no jokes. Really bad you know, uh, impressions of Asian people uh, in quite a few uh, times. And that's the thing is, like, uh, you know, if you knew him and were good friends, you would go, he's just doing that for shock value. But if he's somebody that you haven't heard of before and you just listen to the podcast, you go, oh, this guy's a racist. You know, like, mm-hmm. these aren't really jokes. He's just using that word for shock value. And uh, I, I think if he would have had jokes, Sarah Silverman got away with saying the same word. But it was in the form of a pretty w- well-structured joke. Right. But um, Shane uh, uh, was just saying that word for shock value. And it doesn't, you got to be a little more creative if you're going to be a comedy writer. Yeah, you're use those words, man. You better have a good intent and and, and do it right. Um, that's that's a really good uh, comparison because the if you go and listen to the Asian joke that Sarah Silverman uh, said that was very controversial. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the joke, the point of the joke is to call out racism. Yeah, her the point by by pretending by jokingly saying a racist sentence Mm -hmm. the point of it is don't do this right whereas if you're just on a podcast you know making fun of the way people speak in another culture there's nothing biting to that there's no satire there's no yeah there's no target except asian people yeah and that that's not i mean so um do you have what I'll say my thoughts first. I thought they uh, SNL um, should have fired him, and I thought they should have done a little more research in uh, in the first place. I, I I heard I don't know how true it is that they were trying to, and you know this is what you get when you try to appeal to a more right wing audience, mm-hmm. and they felt like we don't want to be too liberal on this show. Yeah. We should get a you know we should get someone who represents racist assholes in right. here. That's not a bad impulse, um, you know, to try to make sure your your writing staff is not all of one view. And I'm not saying that it's bad to have different perspectives on a show, but when one perspective is respect cultures and the other perspective, and let's get the other, you don't want to get the other <laughs> side of that respect that perspective. Yeah. Like there are certain uh, philosophies that don't need to be represented. And we talked about last time, that there's a lot of different things that make people laugh. Um it, you know, there's the comedy of superiority, which is just, you know, pointing at somebody and saying, "Look how dumb they are." Yeah, um, which has an, an, you know, a very old history and uh, still used today. Sure, um, that can include both racism, like making fun of somebody for something that's outside of their control, mm-hmm. or, you know, political humor, like making fun of somebody for the political beliefs they have. Which yeah, like the Daily is, Show. Yeah, which is, you know, much more valid. I mean, I I, I guess in general, m- mocking someone for something that's out of their control is not funny because yeah. that's just mean. Mocking someone for something that's in their control, such as, you know, 
voting, you know, to for oil companies to have tax breaks is something that you can make fun of. Yeah, if you're an authoritarian man, you've got a really hard thing because you know uh, you're making jokes about uh, instead of making jokes about the the timber industry, you know, you're making fun of the the tree huggers. The uh, yeah, you know, and that's that's a <laughs> you're definitely punching down. Because the the powerful people are the ones in the timber industry, right? And the less powerful. Even the term tree hugger is 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 a way to make comedy out of people who are <laughs> trying to do the right thing. Yeah, which is tough, but it can be effective. I mean, yeah. Trump uh, is definitely a, an authoritarian type of guy. Limbaugh. He does a lot of jokes. Yeah, on the campaign trail, and usually he's punching down at poor people. Mm-hmm. Um, he's punching down at people with less power. Um, he's making fun of, you know, those who are not born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Mm-hmm. But people laugh along because they consider themselves part of that, you know, group. Yeah. Uh, even though he's <clears throat> making fun of them. So, um, a point about a blackface, for instance. I think it's now universally considered. It's something you don't do, you know. Mm-hmm. And previous uh, occasions when people did it are now looked down upon. Jimmy Kimmel on the Man Show, dressed up in blackface for not much of a reason, other than to portray a character. Um, and you know, there, I don't, you know, it's as a comedian, you don't want to make a rule. You can't do this. You know? Yeah. At the same time, it's like. Oh, that's a pretty good rule. You want to avoid that. It's especially now. It's just something that, um, if you're gonna do it, man, you better have a good point, and um, or just in general dressing up as somebody in another culture. But then there's also there's examples where you go, okay, they, they seem to get away with that, mm-hmm. and why? Okay, so you got um, uh, what's what's the movie with uh, Robert Downey Jr. where he um, he's in blackface through the whole thing. He portrays an act it's oh a, yeah uh, tropic thunder tropic thunder okay um very funny movie it's a really funny movie and here's the thing he got away with it he was portraying an actor who wanted to do who was doing blackface to legitimize himself as an act he's right it's, it's satirical in many ways and it's pretty yeah it, it made it hard that movie made it hard to do blackface after because of how really harshly critical it is of blackface and so that's a satirical thing it's it like is, okay yeah. how are they gonna how are we gonna do this to show what a terrible thing it is without the, putting somebody in blackface and the that's target like, becomes uh, the target of the of the joke becomes the insecurity of the white Aust- australian character that he's actually portraying right and not uh you know dip, not not a, a group of people and also within the movie there was another black character who was there who was not on board in the in the the, the drama of it in in the story yeah who's not on board with it was constantly pointing out man that is wrong and so you might say uh well there's an instance where they managed to get away with doing it and um people still they don't cite that usually as a really awful example mm-hmm. because of the way they built their, their their comedy from it, they weren't just doing blackface. They were making a, a point about it. And so 
Yeah. You know, um, that's a place where you could say, well, it kind of got away with it. It's not as bad as other instances where it's just somebody putting blackface on. You know, uh, um, Ashton Kutcher did a thing where he he put on uh, makeup to play an Indian guy. And there was just no reason other than him doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, John Belushi, when he did... Um, the samurai, the samurai librarian, yeah. or what other things? Okay, so here, here are some mitigating factors. Uh, he was not put. He didn't put makeup on his face. He didn't do any eye makeup. He just put his hair in the in the uh, in the samurai style. Yeah, and wore a costume. Mm-hmm. And you could say that it wasn't a. I mean, I guess it was crazy, <laughs> but it wasn't harshly uh, stereotypical. It was its own kind of, uh, it's, it's a unique character that he did. Yeah. And, and it wasn't so, critical of Asian people or Asian culture. Mm-hmm. It was more of a parody. It was like he was doing a parody of, uh, you know, a a trope that we've seen in yeah. cinema. Yeah. So you could say, well, that was a an instance where it wasn't as bad. If he had put eye makeup on, oh, that's something, that's really wrong. Yeah. Um, but he didn't. He just did his hair in a different thing, and he used a sword. And you know, you could say that that's if there are degrees of of doing that kind of humor, that's one of the examples where you go, okay, it's not as harshly terrible as some of the other instances. Yeah, I think it's the you know obviously the the reason that uh, coloring one's face for comedy is so harshly triggering today is its history mm-hmm. of being used to denigrate. And a, a people based on their genetics. Yeah. You know, all of that, you know, the mammy sort of like uh, minstrel kind of comedy that mm-hmm. was popular in America, you know, 100 or 80 years ago or whatever mm-hmm. it was. By the 1950s, it became too problematic to do. And there's an interview with um, Groucho Marx where he talks about it. He says, well, I grew up with those minstrel songs. Mm-hmm. And so... There's a place in my heart where I, I they bring me joy because I was a kid and I was singing these songs and such. And at the same time, you can't do that anymore today in 1955. And I remember going, wow, you know, he was ahead of his time there because there were plenty of people in 55 who were going, oh, what's wrong with it? It's been done. They've been doing it for years. And uh, he even spoke reverently of, you know, his experience doing um, Minstrel when he was a kid. It was just part of it was the most popular form of entertainment, live entertainment in the country from like 1870 to about 19... 10, yeah, 1920, and then it just became a problem. Um, and because, you know, at the time, most people didn't know anyone that was a different race from themselves. Mm-hmm. White people in America didn't know anyone who was black or Asian or anything else. And they were, that was used as a, well, it's a great thing. You know, we, white people can experience a different culture. By, it's like, well, yeah, but it's not really a different culture. It's other white people putting blackface on right. and doing a, a stereotypical and, portrayal of black people. Of people we've never met. Right. Um, and, but, you know, that's very... What you said Groucho, Groucho said is very analogous to what's happening today mm-hmm. and that he was... Uh, you know, there, there, uh, there is a, a certain nostalgia to, like, the, you know, the comedy when you were a kid mm-hmm. and before you understood how hurtful it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was saying to the old people around him, like... You know, let it go. Grow yeah. up. You know, we have to move on. Right. We now know, maybe we laughed when we were kids, mm-hmm. but now we know that it was hurtful to people and 
that wasn't very clever. Mm-hmm. It was just mocking, you know, it's just uh, making fun. Um, and the same thing's happening today, you know, with, with, you know, people, we talked a lot in the last episode about PC culture and people, there's a lot of old comedians who complain about it. Like in my day, we could say this and yeah. now we can't. And it's not necessarily uh, wrong. It's because as a society, we've sort of uh, learned that those those gay jokes that we heard in stand-up specials in the late 70s, mm-hmm. um, it's not that they don't hold up. It's that they were never very clever in the first place. Yes. And they were just kind of hurtful uh, back then, too. And, you know, we laughed. We were kids. We didn't know as much about the effects of that kind of stuff. But um, it's not necessarily bad that comedy is becoming more PC. It's more that um, people are learning how to better hone comedy. So it's not making fun of someone for being born gay. It's making fun of attitudes or whatever, you know. Yeah. Or it's just making a point that's not that's not mean-spirited. You know, mm-hmm. you can still do jokes uh, about gays Sure. Without um, being uh, terribly objectionable, you know, Even as long as you the... find a funny uh, point to make, you know, that's that's not punching down. I mean, I think a lot of comedians, and these are usually the not so great comedians, they really enjoy making their First Amendment defense and calling people out for being snowflakes. They enjoy that more than making comedy. Than actually, because writing... they do that more than the comedy itself. They they make a joke and then they go, "Oh, come on!" and then they make this big long speech. It's not at all funny mm-hmm. uh, defending their right or whatever to do that. And it's like, well, you've screwed up somehow. If, if you have to defend your material um, and you're spending more time doing that than the actual material, well, rethink it. You know, Do yeah. it in such a way that everyone laughs so hard that there's only a couple people that get upset about it. You know? Right. If you're trying to convince all of us that what you just said was funny... <laughs> then maybe you need to rethink whether it was funny or not. Yeah, I mean, like, it is really fun defending something and, and making that first that uh, that defense against your comedy against the stuffy people. That's a great. It's fun to sure. do that. It feels good, but it's uh, if you're doing it a lot, you're probably doing something wrong. And there's you know there's definitely a conversation to be had. There's there's a definitely gray space in in all forms of comedy. Mm-hmm. But um, if you're if you're pissing off most people, like we said, you're always you, you always run the risk of pissing off a few people that don't get what you're doing. But yeah. if you're pissing off most people, if all of your audience is leaving and saying, "I I hate what you're saying right now," yeah. then you should probably take that and probably listen to that. Yeah, I mean, th- there's difference also between if you're fighting authority or if you're fighting society, like like Bill Hicks. Or Lenny Bruce got in trouble with authority, mm-hmm. and they spoke out. And a lot of the, both of those guys did a lot of um, uh, monologuing, preaching. That yeah. that wasn't Lenny, always very funny. Lenny Bruce too, yeah. Uh, both of them, it's sort of later in their career, they got really angry and bitter about the yeah. problems that they were having. And a lot of times, they would just you know get on stage and, and bitch about what was happening. It wasn't exactly funny. Lenny Bruce but, got arrested though. Yeah, there was, you know, like I think a lot of people don't realize he went that to jail for for his act for saying, you know, for words he said on yeah, stage s- saying that uh, weren't racist words. They're just like banned words, like yeah. about sex, yeah, uh, sex and religion, yeah. And uh, he said the n word too 
and a yeah. couple of really funny bits, but they have to take it into context, you know, that that was a dangerous thing to say, but that people were using it much more often yeah. in regular conversation. Yeah, Bill Hicks had a whole thing, too, where he said a bunch of racial slurs in a row, and but then brought it around to, like, you know, how stupid is it that we, you know, yeah, that we don't dislike each other based on blah, blah, blah. And George Carlin had another thing like that, too, where he talked about the various words you can't, not the seven dirty words, but about, you know, racial words, and, mm. you know, you can use it in an illustrative way. Yeah. You know, uh. But in general, those those people that we're talking about, Lenny Bruce especially, were fighting this authoritarian uh, uh, power elite that was saying you can't talk about sex, and mm-hmm. you know society was going, yeah, let him talk about sex. We we think it's funny, and we also want him to have the right to talk about sex on stage. Yeah, well, there's a a long history in sketch comedy and stand up that you're supposed to say the things that you can't say, you know, that, that you're supposed to, to make jokes that, that, uh, aren't permitted. Mm-hmm. And then you have to make that work <laughs> and get away with it. Um, and so that's, that's why you, you, you go make up a rule. It's like, no, it's a little tough to make rules because, uh, someone's going to come along and do something in a really funny way and everyone's going to laugh. And then the less funny people are going to go, see, look at that. You can do it. <laughs> it's like, well, they pulled it off, but you know, you got to think of another way to pull it off. You can't just—that doesn't just open up the gates. I mean, you know, comedy is an art form. You have to be—you mm-hmm. have to be good at it. And there's always going to be someone that tries to break any rule that happens, and you know, whether they're successful or not will be uh, determined by the people that are watching. Yeah. And a lot of comedy is is gut reaction to what someone. Is presenting you with, mm-hmm. and uh, if done right, I think any topic can be broached. But that doesn't mean that you can say anything. There's yeah, a big difference within that. Huge difference. Yeah, you can make a joke about anything, but you can't make any kind of joke. You can't make any joke. Right, right, right. You know, there's there's subjects. No subject is off limits, but certain jokes, it's like, well, yeah, that you can go. Well, that's an indefensible joke. Yeah, you know. And I and again, I think it goes to the the target of the joke. If if you're targeting authority, or if you're targeting um, even, you know, the, those those uh, people that that clutch their pearls when you talk about sex, those are valid targets. But if you're targeting, if you're punching down at people because they were born, you know, with this trait, mm-hmm. then that's that's not funny. Yeah, I mean, people might laugh. But in the that's that's not evergreen. It's not going to last. It's not, uh, you know, it's not going to age well um, if it's funny at all. I was uh, thinking about stuff we brought up last time. I was uh, talking about Emo Phillips and how he does what are called garden path sentences. Okay. I couldn't think of it at the time. But the formal word for that is a paraprosdokian. Okay. It's not a. a Armenian chess champion. <laughs> Paraprasdokian? Paraprasdokian. Um, that is uh, the same thing as a garden path sentence. Okay. And that is uh, a sentence that... Here, I have... I was going to look it up. Where the latter part of the sentence phrase is surprising or unexpected in a way that causes humor. Yes. Oh, here's an emo Phillips just off the top of my head. He said, uh, I love to go to the park and watch the children jump around. 
uh, energetically. Um, they don't know that the gun's not loaded. <laughs> right. So, you which know, is a form of a lot of jokes. It's like you, you, uh, it's misdirection. You're, you're pointing people in this direction and then you go the other way. I mean, like, just take my wife, please. Is Yeah, I, ne- I always misunderstood that. I thought he was just saying, take my wife, please. Like, it's all one thing. But he's saying, take no, my wife, for instance. Yeah. Please. You know? Well, it's it's in the delivery, and and we've heard it s- spoken so many times growing up. I I think a lot of people don't understand that joke because when Henny Youngman would originally deliver it, he would say he would be in the middle of talking about you know blah 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 the world and my life and take my wife, mm-hmm. and and the way he said it was a continuation of a thought where you where the audience thinks he's going to say for example right. And then he pauses and he says, please, please take, take my wife, yeah. please take her. Uh, <laughs> I'd always just heard people quote it, you know, and right. I, I always just thought, that doesn't make sense. Why is that funny? And I know, and that's like, that's the art of comedy is that um, you can say the exact same words over and over and no one will under, even understand why that's a joke. Yeah. But the way he originally delivered it was, was legitimately funny. Here's something that Stephen Wright said. On the other hand... You have different fingers. Uh, what's another one? Um, here's uh, Groucho Marx. I've had a perfectly wonderful evening, but this wasn't it. Uh, Mitch Hedberg said, I haven't slept for 10 days because that would be too long. Yeah. So the second part of the sentence is, uh, causes you to reinterpret the first. Yeah. Oh, they were talking about this, not that. So there's the element of surprise and there's the incongruity of it. And uh, it's got a lot, you know, those garden path sentences are good comedy staple they're hard to come up with i think they're yeah like the classic one-liners or even you know longer stories that they have a twist at the end or like it can be a, an example uh, a response like lincoln one of our funniest presidents um in a debate somebody called him two-faced and he said sir if i had two faces do you think i'd be wearing this one mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like good comeback yeah uh Self-deprecating, but also reinterpreting what he said, you know, and it's that's kind of a, a garden path. He finished the second part of the garden path, uh-huh. you know. Um, that's just good stuff. And so there's a, um, since this is a science podcast, there's a scientific paper called The Processing of Garden Path Jokes, mm-hmm. Theoretical Concepts and Empirical Correlates. Well, that sounds so academic. Yeah. <laughs> I bet it's a laugh riot. Um <laughs> Does it have an abstract to tell you like what? This is the abstract. In garden path jokes, uh, parentheses, GP jokes, they got to talk about it so much, they got to just say GP (laughs) jokes. An initially dominant semantic representation of an ambiguous text is violated. (laughs) See, we've been talking about this. We never use those words. Right. Um, It needs to be revised in order to reestablish a coherent representation. The processing of a GP jokes is modeled on a theoretical theoretical level as a di- dynamic interaction between stimulus and recipient. This is why everybody hates academics. <laughs> <laughs> right. Really drain the fun out of that. <laughs> but that yeah, I mean that's sort of um it's one of the like like I said like uh an old form of comedy is is just uh superiority is making mm-hmm. fun of, but one another form of comedy is you know uh an unexpected twist. Mm-hmm. And there, there's also, um, you know, like a clash of context, like you know, fish out of water, some mm-hmm. something 
doesn't seem right. These things are brain. I think a lot of them, our brain is trying to uh, make sense of the world, and it's and suddenly it's 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 almost delightful. It's mm-hmm. literally delightful when yeah. you're trying to make sense of the world and you realize, oh, I was totally wrong yeah. about the world that I was, uh, you know, that I that I thought I was uh, picturing. Yeah. Um, and and we talked about in la- the, the last time you were here, but uh, a big part of comedy is what's called benign violation, mm-hmm. which is that you're vi- you're violating the rules, but not in a way that's threatening or or um, dangerous, really. Mm-hmm. And you know, people might argue that some comedy should be more or less benign. Um, there's there's super benign comedy that's still funny, which is just like you know. You know, kids' cartoons. Uh, I'm looking I, I, at it. There's a Venn diagram here, and it's yeah. two circles. Okay. With overlap in the middle. On the left, it says benign. <laughs> On the right, it says violation. And the overlap is called benign violation. Right. Now I, yep. I get that. Now it's totally you, you clear saw, to me. You didn't understand why that why those two words would be put together before. Like violating social norms. Like a serial killer is a violator of social norms, but that's not very funny. No. And and you know like everyday life is pretty benign that's not very funny but when you violate a norm but it doesn't hurt anyone i mean i don't want to say all comedy is about violating norms and not hurting anyone but yeah it's it's definitely a it's a pretty good one pretty good form of comedy yeah it's it describes a lot of comedy Mm -hmm. um where you're you're going somewhere that people don't expect you to Mm -hmm. and if you're good at it you can talk about you know deep issues you can talk about race and you can talk about religion and you can talk about politics if you're good and you target well it it, it's benign if what you're saying rings true i think in a lot of cases yeah and you know um it's it's really it's a tough racket doing comedy when because you do the benign violation and it's very easy to misinterpret and somebody was talking about um what's the great satire of uh the giant person who goes out into the, uh, it's a... Uh, oh, Jonathan Swift. Jonathan uh, Swift, uh, yeah. Somebody was saying that um, that has been misrepresented uh, this whole time, that it's really on the side of of the uh, the power structure, that it's pointing, it's punching down. They made a really compelling argument, whereas the, the modern interpretation of it is that it's making fun of all these uh, idiots... Um, who are in power? The little, the Lilliputians. Yeah, uh, it's Gulliver's Travels. Gulliver's Travels, and yeah. written by Jonathan Swift. Yes, yeah. that's a problem in that um, you know, like um, you have in uh, Big Bang Theory, you have somebody says a terribly sexist thing, and then somebody else points that out and says what a terrible thing, and then you get a punchline back and forth. You could easily interpret it as, um, look at that funny guy uh, making that snowflake triggered. You know, you mm-hmm. can take the wrong side of it pretty easily. Yeah. And that's something with comedy. It's like, uh, you know, a couple of years, people don't get all the, the context of it, and they can think that you're making fun of the opposite of what you're making fun of. Yeah, I mean, for years, when Stephen Colbert had the Colbert Report, <laughs> uh, you know, famously, both sides watched him because mm-hmm. conservatives thought he was just being... 
yeah, coyly conservative. Well, like and, he, and liberals rightly knew that he was uh, lambasting conservatism. Right. That's where satire is is uh, get, can get misinterpreted. Like he's playing um, a, a kind of a authoritarian character who's very wrong headed, but that character's making jokes, mm-hmm. and so. Um, somebody can be watching it and just go with that joke and not get the part that it's making fun of him. He's making fun of that character, not... For instance, um, he's talking about building a wall, Stephen Colbert. And he said, well, I don't think a wall is enough. I think it should be a a gasoline-filled pit full of alligators that's on fire. Yeah. You know? That's making fun of the authoritarian right-wingers who want a wall. But then my right-wing friend from high school made the same joke to me, and I'm like... What that you know? He's he really wants the wall, and it was like that joke is not funny coming from him at all. Yeah, it's just really racist, <laughs> right? You know, because he because he hates Mexicans he that much. Believes that, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and he you know I know I know where he stands on the issues, so it was like oh boy, that's uh, that's not funny, and he's ripping a joke off too, which is annoying. A lot of comedy, I don't know what you would call this, but comes from the uh, the the perspective that wouldn't it be funny if i actually thought this yes the way i'm saying it it, you can tell that i don't right um i brought it up in the last podcast but when sarah silverman says uh you know some we need to take martin luther king down a notch yeah she says it in a way that she where 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 the audience goes oh that'd be funny if you thought that because that's a terrible thing to think of course you don't right and we all laugh but then there's people who think that yeah and they laugh because they think that you're, for a different reason, mm-hmm. because they think that you're stating something true, and they don't get that it would be crazy for somebody to think this. Yeah. I remember um, I did a piece called um, The Running of the Cops on the Chris Rock Show. Uh-huh. Like The Running of the Bulls? Yeah. And it's just cops running through Harlem, and, and uh, the, all the people from Harlem are all dressed in the... They've got the red scarves on, and they're all, like, running from the cops and trying to, you know, like, just like the bulls, you know, like, the ah, cops are coming, and they're running in front of them and having a great time. and Yeah. And um, so that was the, the, the sketch. And um, in the same season, Brian Tucker wrote another piece called uh, How Not to Get Shot by the Police, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, kind of a, you know, the, the point of view was, uh, hey, turn your stereo down, you know. Um, and uh, the, it shows the cop coming up. And asking the black guy who's behind the wheel, you know, and it's like, uh, have a white friend, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the passenger seat. That's going to really help, you know. And uh, also don't talk back to the cop. And just a lot of things, you know, and it's funny coming from Chris. Well, that got shared. That sketch and, and my sketch both were like a, somebody put it, uh, uploaded it. And there were some police, I think, in New Jersey who were sharing those sketches amongst each other. And it's like. That's terrible that these cops are saying, you know, that they're showing cops uh, beating people with billy clubs, which is, you know, what my sketch was about. Mm. And then um, telling people to turn the stereo down and all this. And I think one of the cops said, we should use this as a training video, you know, or something like that. Oof. And it's like, um, I mean, I don't know. Our intent with with those pieces wasn't to make cops laugh their ass off. Right. But, you know... Uh, I could see that a police officer might watch those things and laugh and laugh in the right way and get what we're at going at after, you know, you'd have to know what was in the heart of the, of the police officer who was sharing it. Yeah. You know, I mean, because you know, when, when you say to someone, 
of, of a you know minority in society that are being uh, targeted mm-hmm. that having a white friend helps you get out of things it's it's the it's one of those it's true it and it shouldn't be right and we're we're laughing because we all recognize that that's actually a true statement mm-hmm. that having a white friend helps when you're talking to the cops and and then there's the shared recognition that it shouldn't be and it needs to change right or at least you know most people share that recognition maybe on the cop side they were just like yep it's true yeah uh, you, that's the thing is is uh, you know cops watch comedy and they laugh. I mean you can't say they they can't laugh at those jokes. You just have to know what they're which side they're on. You know. Yeah. So then is is satire a, a, a good thing in general for the world if people don't always understand it, or is it just sort of fueling both sides of every issue? I mean, it's always going to be misinterpreted. Because you have to fully inhabit the bad guy. You have to, you know, portray them completely and, and, and not, uh, if it's really good, somebody can completely miss the satire, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um, because it's done so well. But that's just, a, it's part of the whole thing. It's, it's a yeah. built-in um, problem that you might have with your satire, is that people are going to misinterpret it. Does that mean you shouldn't do satire? No. It just means when you do it, you have to do it in the right way and try to minimize the possibility that you'll be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always a, you know, that's the Pythons talked about that a lot about when they were doing Life of Brian is how, how, to, how to, placing the jokes just right so that the right people got it. Yeah. You know, there's never been a study that's shown that, you know, satire takes down a totalitarian system. But um, I still think it's important for the people to have when, you know, you know it, the, the, it doesn't necessarily help the downtrodden become undowntrodden, mm-hmm. but it does help people cope with the, in, the in, injustices of the world, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, it's powerful. You know, if, if, like Richard Nixon probably didn't like SNL, you know, depicting him. I guess there, no SNL. It was, was after. Yeah. It was after him, but but they still did Nixon stuff. I'm sure he was sitting at home and he went on laughing, right? Um, yeah, that was a thing. And he went on laughing and said, "Because Sock it to me." They were they were making fun of him mercilessly, but then he went on, yeah, and did a cameo, and it made him more likable. To people, people said, "Oh, he's okay." Like, oh yeah, look at him. He can laugh. He can make fun of himself. He can laugh right along. Which so that's. To my point, which is that that episode of Laughing might have helped his political career for sure, um, inadvertently because it it softens his image. Yeah, yeah. Um, So that's not necessarily a good thing, but um, you know, there's no reason. It's not that they were bad to have him on either. I mean, uh, it seemed to work. I mean, it was funny when he came out and said "suck it to me." You know, yeah, he's just so not. The it's, kind of guy that would say that, it made it funny. It's still kind of funny to this day, or at least it's still like par- parodied to this day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think satire is mostly a good, a force of good in the world. And, yeah. Uh, I, and I'm a big fan of it, actually. But um, it's not always, it, it doesn't always, it's, it, you know, it's not uh, going to save us all from. Yeah, it's dangerous. Uh, lying politicians and um, corrupt governments. Yeah. Is, are there any other topics of science and comedy that you want to hit? 
Um, I think I had mentioned, uh, I was talking about my thesis and something that I based my approach on uh, in my thesis. It was a book that I found called Popular Film and Television Comedy okay. by Steve Neal and Frank Krutnick. Okay, for, for, um, uh, for, for the audience, you wrote your master's thesis on sketch, on sketch comedy. comedy. Yeah. yeah. And um, I was trying to figure out an approach, you know, how would I talk about it and, and what, uh, what's the theoretical approach. And I just read that, um, popular television and comedy, and I was like, oh, this is perfect. This, mm -hmm. this, is a, this is the approach I want. They talked about beginnings and endings. They were pretty uh, straightforward about it. It wasn't like that abstract that I read uh, just a, a few minutes ago. It wasn't that. You know, they, were, right. they spoke in plain language mostly. It wasn't that dry. Yeah. And um, I thought, this is a good approach. You know, I can be almost a general reader, but, you know, still with a lot of uh, you know, backing up everything with references and a bibliography and all that. So that's the book. I couldn't think of the title, but um, and I always remember the last. What's name. it called again? Popular film and television comedy by Steve Neal and Frank Krutnick. Neal and Krutnick. Yep. Um, cool. So you recommend that as a uh, if you're an for academic for the reading. On yeah, yeah. Because I think they had some good uh, analysis in there. Um, they used the, the term the well-made sketch. I think they referred to. There's a thing called the well-made play. Mm-hmm. And that's something that they used in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, when they first started studying that thing. Of, of a, a well-made play is it has a story that builds to a peak, and then as a denouement, it's you can you can graph it out. It's, yeah, is the well-made play. It's what we think about is the the, the um, hero's journey now. Right, like Joseph Campbell, cycles of of action leading up to the climax. Uh, Mm -hmm. the, and then after the climax, there's the denouement the, or the uh, you know epilogue Dan, or something. Yep. Yeah. Dan Harmon has a six-part uh, series that you can find online on on story structure for comedy uh, uh, TV. Hmm. It's really interesting. It, it's more of a circle. A hero's journey is more of like a an arc because the hero mm -hmm. has a beginning, middle, and end, and learns something in a in a TV show, it kind of ends where it starts, right? Because you don't want to change the world too much episode to episode, but there's always a sort of call to adventure and a sort of, uh, you know, fish out of water or new situation, mm -hmm. new world that the the heroes have to go into yeah. and learn something and come back. The turn is stasis. You start at the stasis. That's the the world as it is. Yep. And then you have this story arc that takes you somewhere. And then you come back to the stasis at the end, about where you started, and then the next episode. But having starts. learned something, hopefully, or, yeah. or changed in some way internally. Yeah, and then the next episode starts at that same stasis and continues, and you just it's just, it, elliptical. It just goes in circles each time you have a new storyline. Yeah, it's helpful um, in, in longer form writing. We're not talking about like sketch and joke writing tends to be more of a straight line or just a... Singular S slice of life, or just a scene where something weird is happening and getting weirder. Right. I had uh, not seen the Dave Chappelle special. Oh, the, I, I saw it now. The most recent one. Yeah, where he makes a lot of criticism about political correction, correctness, and it's messing with him and all that stuff. Yeah, I brought it up a few times the last time we spoke. Yeah, I watched it, and I think my theory holds, which is the stuff that everyone pointed out is the most problematic. 
was the least good stuff. The least funny, yeah. Like he did this joke about a Chinese man. Mm-hmm. It was awful. I'm like, and it was in the midst of a good special. Yeah. And that was one that people were pointing out, and I'm like, yeah, he didn't need to have that one. You know, it was especially like he spent ten minutes defending his trans joke, and that was the least funny part of the the special. And you know, sure, you know, writers should be able to defend themselves but if you're spending more time defending that thing maybe just let it go and real and and admit that it wasn't that funny yeah um i thought there were many funny moments it was a it was overall yeah. a good special he's funny dude yeah. um he always will be his delivery is funny just the way he 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 uh tells stories is really funny mm-hmm. but then like i was talking about old comedians you just like yeah. Once you start to try to convince people that you should be able to make fun of, you know, punch down on this, you know, wh- whatever group that uh, you want to punch down at. Yeah, I saw um, on that same subject, I saw a clip with Jerry Seinfeld. I have no idea why he's waded into this whole subject because he's not the kind of comedian that ever did material that would upset an audience. He would, he, you know... He's like he literally had a couple jokes about losing socks in the laundry, you know, like yeah. Um, but you know, he's a he's a uh, a craftsman, you know. That's the thing. His his stuff was never super innovative, and it was never super um, uh, edgy, mm-hmm. but it was just well done. You know, yeah, he's, he's a good craftsman. But he brought up this joke. He said, "I did a joke about these smartphones and how people are using it." He does this thing with his kind of takes his hand like they're when somebody's uh, swiping on their phone mm-hmm. they do it in a really kind of uh fey way you know like mm-hmm. he's like uh, the, the hand kind of flips up in a limp way and and uh he says it's like you're some kind of gay french king and the audience gasped and he was like angry that they didn't like his gay french king king joke and i'm thinking and, and i'm like that's not a good joke that's not a a french king pretty- totally makes the point uh, a French king is like not going to annoy anybody. The, it's not like the French are going to be upset or the French royalty. Yeah. The gay thing, I think, muddies it up. You know, it's like it's saying, look at this limp wristed person move, using their phone like a gay person. Yeah. And, and, and like, the thing about French kings, especially like Louis the Fourteenth, I think, uh, is not that they were fey, but that they were elitist mm-hmm. assholes who. Right. Uh, had, who were hoarding money and while people were starving to death. Yeah, I think Jerry Seinfeld in his prime would have went, oh, the audience, I didn't get a solid laugh out of that joke. There must be something wrong with it. Oh, it's the gay part. And fixed it. Take Yeah, and just fix it. You know, don't complain about it. It's like, obviously your joke didn't work. Yeah, but then there's that idea where you, you there, there's that uh, you drive to sort of dig in. When, yeah. When, which, which is not a good driving comedy. You don't dig in against your audience when you're getting feedback. You yeah. should be responsive. And the thing is, is, I'm not saying that the gay part... Well, the point of it is just saying, well, gay people, they, they do things in a flamboyant way, which is a stereotype. Like, if somebody says, man, your, your house is super clean, man. It's like a gay architect mm-hmm. lives here. That's not quite as bad, because um, it's saying um, gay people are maybe neat, you know? Yeah. Rather than still, their, still a stereotype, still a bit of a stereotype, but it's not a spiteful, mean stereotype necessarily. It's just a little less harsh than gay people really act gay. You know, like I, I guess my thought on that is that it just doesn't ring true because I know maybe you know when I was younger I might have thought that was funnier, but I know so many gay people now 
that, you know, some are clean, some are messy, some are fae, some are butch, masculine. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't ring true when you go, uh, oh, they're so clean. Like, really? Not really. Yeah. Some are. Like, some straight people. Yeah, and again, I think it's the, if you are gay, clearly you can get away with a lot more stuff. And that seems to upset, you know, straight comedians. Like, well, why can they say it? Why can't I? It's like, well, it's a... It's a general rule, you know. You, you can make fun of the, you can make fun of the city that you're from, you mm-hmm. know. And people from that city aren't going to get a super bent out of shape, you know, because you're from there. You're from the hometown, you know. Because so you, you have the perspective and the experience, yeah. to talk about it, right? Um, That's why, you know, yeah, non-gay people, you can talk about gayness, but if you're going to really dig into, you know, getting, you know, making fun of the gay community, and you're not part of it. Mm-hmm. Then you're not speaking from an honest place. Yeah, you, you don't really know from whence you're, you know, you're talking. Yeah. The other side of the coin is people that are writing and trying to craft comedy should be given some leeway because it's hard. Yeah. And not everything's going to uh, hit, and you're going to say something or you're going to tweet something, and it's people are going to be upset and they're going to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a measure of an artist if they can take and learn from that yeah or just admit that you're you're right that was a stupid thing to say why did i say that i apologize mm-hmm. um there's a difference between people that can do that and go on to to learn and and better hone their comedy in the future and people that dig in and say fuck you for being upset yeah i stand by this terrible thing i said yeah um it's it's a bad sort of uh human part of human nature that you want to dig in rather than learn from certain experiences. Yeah. And uh, comedians aren't getting rest- arrested anymore. Right. Um, so. And there's really, there's no um, censure or, or, or um, you know, government telling us what we can or can't say, which is good. Yeah. Partially because of comedians in the past fighting those, those fights. Yeah. But uh, there are, you know, society, there you know the the world audience is telling you what they do or don't want to hear and yeah. to some extent you can push back but you have to also listen and know what you're uh what you're pushing back against and why yeah and when somebody does the the great uh transgressive comedy that says all the things you're not supposed to say it's like there's hardly ever a problem with it. if it's for, if it's really funny you know, mm-hmm. like a airplane when they did the airplane, uh, they first did that airplane script. I think there were some producers who were like, you can't do all these jokes. There's these racial jokes. It's just terrible. But they stuck to their guns. The movie came out and there were zero complaints because <laughs> it yeah. was such a damn funny and also a very big change in the kind of comedy. That was a, it was just a constant flood of jokes. Yeah. And um it just got away with all those jokes because it was a really funny thing and and it hit all groups you know it wasn't just one group anytime somebody says you can't do that anymore they're wrong because somebody's going to come along and they're going to be smart and figure out how to do it well mm-hmm. and do it correctly whether it be whatever the topic is mm-hmm. there's no there's no complete taboo somebody's going to figure out how to do it yeah it's just about being smart i i think what we can agree on is is it's 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 hard and comedy is not just throwing out the first thing that you think of like gay French king, 
<laughs> it's maybe take a few more, take another few minutes to try to think of something yeah. that's more on target. So, are we are we more articulate now than we were on the last one? I don't even know if there's a big difference. I'm not sure. I think by the end of the last episode that we were fairly the the same as we are now. <laughs> Yeah, and we've we've hit a lot of the same topics. I don't, I don't know if we've changed anything. Is there anything that we brought up that we want to bring up again? I, I... What are your thoughts on, for instance, listening to Michael Jackson songs from the eighties? <laughs> I can appreciate a Michael Jackson song mm-hmm. without, without thinking about the things that he was alleged to have done. And I, I mean, I I think he probably did do those things. Would you be able to sit through a Cosby special from 1985 now? Like, uh, I ni- thought, well, more like 1973. I'd be fine because <laughs> he was really good then. 1985. I actually, I've seen Cosby live. Uh, that's oh. you know he was a skilled comedian. I he watched was, all. I mean, I loved his uh, stand-up specials when I was a kid. I, yeah, I don't think people really quite understand just how revered and how cool he was. You know, so and when I was a kid, I, the Fat Albert and Cosby Kids, you know, I would run home to see that. You mm-hmm. know, um, and I watched that show too, but I don't know if I could do it now um, because it's tough. Because what he did, it, it, I don't even won't even say allegedly now. Since it's been corroborated by over sixty people, what he did was horrific yeah. and monstrous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't find him funny anymore, even though when I was a kid, he was one of my favorite comedians. Yeah, it's hard to hand, do that. Because what he was doing was false. That the persona he had was not a real persona, right? Uh, and yes, he would criticize R- Richard Pryor, but Richard Pryor was there, warts and all. You know, he was that was more close to who he was mm-hmm. up on stage. Whereas Bill Cosby created this persona that wasn't at him at all. Yeah, totally fake. Totally, he was totally lying to us about who he was yeah. inside. Which um, is fine if if the real you is not a monster. If you're just doing something that's different than you, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, there are plenty of people who, you know, Steve Martin uh, wasn't at all that wild and crazy guy. He was a far different person. But, you mm-hmm. know, he wasn't a monster. <laughs> right, right. You know? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. That's true. And, uh, you know, like Woody Allen, um, excellent comedic filmmaker. It's hard to watch his stuff anymore, particularly the, you know, Manhattan and stuff like that. Woody Allen's an interesting choice because he, was, he actually went to court and was acquitted of any legal wrongdoing. That doesn't mean he didn't do it. Yeah. But he defended himself successfully. Obviously, he's done a lot of creepy shit, like marrying yeah. your your ex wife's uh, adopted daughter mm-hmm. is really creepy shit. Yeah, no matter who you are, um, not it's not illegal. Well, it's he like, might have done illegal things. He's been accused of doing illegal things. It's an interesting question, you know, when um, somebody does undeniably perceptive and really good art. And then you find out they're a monster afterwards, you know. And yeah, it's it's tough. You definitely you have to disappreciate it for its comedy. You can't make it into hero worship because clearly the person wasn't a hero. Yeah, it um, doesn't invalidate the art. I mean, by all accounts, Picasso was an asshole, and you know Hemingway was an asshole, and yeah. they both still created great stuff. Like yeah. Van Gogh was a creepy lech who was trying to m- marry his cousin, and she's. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's also like when the subject of the comedy is, you know, you mentioned Louis C.K. Um, everyone had to reevaluate what they thought about his comedy mm-hmm. after, in light of the things that they've learned were true. 
the the disappointing thing about Louis to me is that he presented himself again as like Cosby. He he was kind of lying. He presented himself as being completely open and honest with his life, mm-hmm. and he wasn't. Be he wasn't. Yeah. And after it came out, he chose to still not accept it and talk about it. He denied it and said it wasn't. You know, that's just made up. I don't know if you heard the the leaked comedy special he did at the end of last year, and yeah, he didn't want it released, but somebody released it from it was their a, phone. He, he was just doing time. He was trying to work material out. And it's really bad, and he's—it's really—it's super racist against uh, uh, Asians, and he does these like really mm-hmm. lazy jokes about Asian guys, and I was very disappointed because instead of addressing what happened and explaining, and maybe he he could have done an an hour that was an apology and an explanation and sort of an inward looking. Uh, retrospective on his life, and instead he wrote a bunch of hack jokes about, uh, you know, Chinese guys' dicks, <laughs> and that was what was disappointing to me because that's when I realized that he has been lying to me the whole time. Yeah. Like I was saying earlier, we have to, we have to, you know, forgive people to a certain extent for not being funny. Sometimes. Yeah, and I also thought that, on the other hand. Um, yeah, there was some stuff that was like he should have known before he went up and did it. He should have just drew a line through those jokes. Some of them that were not so good. Okay, um, let, let's wrap it up. I think we got a lot of podcasts here. We we should do. Did we talk? Oh wait, I got two things I want to talk. We about. should just do a weekly uh, <laughs> two two white guys figure out politically correctness. Every yeah, podcast. it was really heavy on that subject. I guess because it's a big subject now. Yeah, because it's on people's minds. It's on my mind. You know it. Just putting comedy out into the world, I think about what I'm saying a lot. Mm-hmm. I think about, I've definitely written jokes that I don't stand behind today. Right. Um, we all do. Mm-hmm. And I've you know written sketches. I will probably write some jokes in the future that I don't stand behind. Right. In the, in the later future. In the later future. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you, you might not stand behind this podcast yeah, I'll in be the like, future. 20 years from now, I'll use this discussion as an example. Of why comedy was so terrible for so long. Of why that we should be canceled. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted. I remember I said in the last podcast about um, uh, we were talking about how stand up is a built in reward and punishment. Okay. Um, and it really instant is. feedback. Instant feedback, and so sketch comedy to a certain extent because when you live, especially when you hear the laughter. It still hurts when you, something doesn't get a laugh. It's not as acute. Mm-hmm. Like if you're on stage and it doesn't get a laugh, man, does that hurt by yourself? Yeah, yeah. The, it's like uh, silence like, is deafening. Totally. It's like the difference between like a piece of chocolate and an electric shock. You know? Yeah, one you like and one you do not like. Right. Um, and um, that's that's why I think if you can get be not funny and learn how to be funny by doing it enough. But can you really? Doesn't one have to have in some sort of innate instinct for humor in the first place? Like, yeah, I, I don't know if you can. You can say that's a human thing, almost like yeah, empathy or or. I don't a, know if you can teach anyone to be funny. I think you but, can. But can one, anybody one can, learn to be funny? I guess is a question. I, think, I don't know. That is a good question. You take somebody. I don't not, think anyone can learn to be funny. I think you can make people with with a little spark of something there learn to be funnier. 
uh, to to hone it. Yeah, I think you can hone yourself as, uh, you know, your your own funniness in life by listening to the feedback and developing from it. But I'm, I mean, yeah, you it, might disagree with me, but I I think there's got to be some something there. Some science can everything. give you a little bit of guidance. You know, there's a scientific aspect to it. It's like there's the hard sciences, and then there's like psychology. And social yeah. psychology, where they they still are measuring, they're still using um, scientific methods. Yeah, it's still um, science. It's science to me is just observing, and you know, learning from that observation and con- controlled observation. You know, the scientific yeah. method is pretty applicable in comedy. Um, um, and making a hypothesis for the future, testing it out, seeing if it works. Mm-hmm. It could be wh- whether that's you know creating rocket fuel or writing a joke you're you have a hypothesis that this is funny mm-hmm. you test it out by throwing it out there i think you said this on the last time we talked you test it out there by throwing it out to the audience you get the the uh, data back which mm-hmm. is whether they laughed or not and then you go back into the lab and try to tweak it and make it funnier next time Everything can be studied and learned from, I guess. I hope we nailed it this time. I hope we I hope we really hit it on this caffeinated episode <laughs> where I didn't get high until about two minutes ago <laughs> when we were about to wrap up and I did get high and now I can't even think of what we talked about. Yeah. Well Well we leave it up to the audience members to decide when that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Try to figure out when we got high. Um Mike Upchurch. Thank you for being here. This was really fun. I love just t- talking about comedy yeah. and Thank you, Dave. the world and f- the, f- the future. Where can people find you online or um, any projects you want to uh, plug coming up? Go watch Cocktails and Dreams. Cocktails and Dreams. It's a thing I did a couple of years ago. Is and that, YouTube is the place to find it? Yes, just put that in. Cocktails and Dreams. Starring Tom Cruise. Starring Tom Cruise. Directed by Fairbanks, you. Directed by me and also uh, another director. And then, um, what's the name of the the biker one? Freeway to Hell. That's coming up. That's going to be a sequel in, of sorts. Uh, Is that out yet? No, it's not. Oh, it's uh, we're done with it. But it's kinda... so funny, people. Oh, <laughs> um, you. I watched you. You let me watch it, and I wasn't sure if it had been released yet. But it, I was laughing my ass off. Cool. I think it's great. Thanks. Uh, do you have a tentative time? Probably in the next couple months. We're sitting on it right now. We're kind of trying to get our ducks aligned. All right. That was, uh, I don't know how long this is. We took a couple breaks. We'll figure it out. We've been talking for a while. Let's go through it and and rearrange the points so that they're better ordered and cut out the bad stuff. Okay. uh, And get somebody to do my voice a little deeper. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll have somebody come in and and act out. I'll I'll write out a transcript and we'll have some better actors come in and present Ah, it. Good. Because I think we could really, this could be really good. (laughs) If we cut out the bad stuff and had somebody else do it. Yep. And uh, we're going to learn from our uh, our past mistakes. And the next time we talk, it's going to be so much better. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Science AF. I'm at Dave Chacho and all the things in uh, science, at Science AF Pod on Twitter, scienceafpod.com. You can find all the episodes and you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and Twitcher and Twitter and uh kick cat and uh snickers.com um thanks for listening i'll be back next week bye bye oh wait yeah i didn't cue up the song now i have to pretend like 
I'm still saying goodbye now. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science as fuck. It's a good grooving baseline.